Our culture has been steadily shifting over the years and seems to be locked into a new norm. And that new norm is the death to absolute truth. The fancy term for that is called moral relativism. Whatever your morals are, whatever your values are, they're relative to you. And someone else's values, their morals are relative to them. Your truth is your truth, their truth is their truth. And if your two truths collide, if they don't coincide together, you both can be right. Everybody wins, everybody gets a trophy, everybody is right. That is moral relativism. And it's the culture that we are in right now. The greatest offense that anyone can do in this current culture is to turn to someone else and say, your truth is wrong. And my truth, my truth is right. And those are literal fighting words, highly offensive to anybody in the culture that we live in. So how do we then, as Christians, live our faith in a big, bold, beautiful way in this culture of moral relativism? My goal for us today is to shift our focus, see moral relativism in a different manner. Throughout this entire week, we're going to talk on how you can live your faith in a big, bold, beautiful way, even in the difficult culture that we're in. And for today, I just want to change your perspective for a second. Because moral relativism is one of the biggest open doors for the gospel that we've had in a long, long time. Now, how in the world is that possible? In this culture, your truth is to be respected. And so if you stand on your truth, the truth that you know that God loves you and that God has blessed you and that God has forgiven you, and you live inside of that truth, so often it is respected. The culture that we're living in, it's just not going to change not anytime soon. So rather than scrutinize it, let's, let's utilize it. Let's use it as best we can to our advantage. Way, the way that you can do that is by looking at what Paul did. See, Paul was a pastor. He lived about 2,000 years ago, and he was a pastor that traveled from city to city, and he told other people about Christ. And as he moved and as he went along, he ran into a lot of hostility. One of the times, he was in a city known as Athens. And he's walking around in the culture of that city, and there is statue after statue after statue to all these false gods that are there. Now, Paul could have thrown up his hands and gone, they're never going to believe. I can't live my faith life boldly here. This culture is too anti-Jesus. But that's not what he did. He looked around at the culture and he thought, how might I be able to use this so I can live my faith and tell others about Christ? What did Paul do? Well, he found a statue to, with an inscription on that said, to an unknown God. And he used that to tell people about Christ. How can you use moral relativism to live boldly your faith? I kind of told you already. Just live your truth. Share your truth. Talk about in your life how God has powerfully been, been seen. Talk about how you have seen God take something that you thought was impossible and made it absolutely possible. Talk about the, the power, the, the mercy, the grace of God's forgiveness and how that has changed your life and given you peace. And when you tell that truth, and you don't tell someone else they have to believe it, you just share your truth. Again, you can't make anybody believe. You just share your truth, plant that seed, and let God, the Holy Spirit, do what he does. When you stand in that truth, you can live your faith. It's a pretty big and 
pretty bold way. So in this culture, the culture that you're living, live your truth. Tell other people about Christ. Plant that seed and then pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would make it grow that they know the truth. That Jesus loves them too. It seems like it's become open season on Christian values these days. This big shift has happened in our culture where people are celebrated for living against God's word. They're celebrated as being brave and, and true to themselves. But when you, when you live for God, when you say to someone, I value what God values, then suddenly you can be targeted. You can be ridiculed and mocked and awful, awful things can be said about you. Man, it's becoming really difficult to be proud and positive as a Christian in school campuses and workplace environments, even in our own families and extended families. Huge fights can end up happening. There's something that I've seen and witnessed in my time of just kind of living and being inside the world. And it has to go back to this idea of moral relativism. Whatever your morals and values are, they're relative to you. And someone else's truth is their truth and your truth is your truth. And we kind of coexist, but sometimes we collide against each other. How do you, how do you live your faith in a bold, strong way in this environment? Well, one of the big things to do is just to be confident, to have conviction. There's value in having conviction of your faith life in Jesus. Now, I worked in a restaurant for about uh, 12 years, actually a bunch of different restaurants. I can't count the number of glasses that I filled over that time. And in fact, I got really good at a pretty useless skill. Um, this just shows how many uh, glasses of water I filled up over the years. And as I did that, as I worked among, I think, over a thousand different people, there's something that I noticed. I noticed that when a person came in and was a believer and had conviction, had confidence in their faith, they were respected. They were kind of left alone. They weren't really attacked. But when someone came into the environment that I worked in and the majority of people there weren't Christian, and if that Christian was wishy-washy in their faith, they got attacked. People went after them. There was, this, there was this unofficial game that ended up happening where the non-Christians had this contest to see which of them could get the wishy-washy Christian drunk first. Which one of the non-Christians could get the wishy-washy Christian to do something sexually inappropriate? And they got attacked and they went after him. So how do you live your faith in a bold way and be safe? Again, it boils down to living your faith with conviction, with this confidence. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a person of faith who has conviction? It does not mean that you have to have the entire Bible figured out. To be a, a Christian of conviction does not mean that you have to know all 12 tribes of Israel. You don't have to correctly spell all 12 of the disciples' names. You don't have to know the Ten Commandments in reverse order. You don't have to do that. To be a Christian of conviction and confidence, you simply have to be confident that Jesus loves you. And that you know that, that you love that, and that you love him. That is a person of conviction. And in the culture that we live in, when you have that confidence, so often you are left alone. And those people in my work environment who had that confidence, who were not ashamed to share that they love Jesus, were left alone and, for the most part, respected. Paul wrote something about this. Paul gave encouragements 
to the people in Rome, uh, these newer Christians that were there, and he encouraged them to not be ashamed of the gospel. And, and he said, why? He said, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. God's power is in his gospel. And this incredible power that's there blasts away a lifetime of sin and shame. In, in fact, this word here, translated as power, is where we get our English word dynamite from. And that's what God does. God blows away a lifetime of sin. He blasts away every wrong that you've ever done. And so you can have this incredible peace, this amazing confidence to live your faith boldly with conviction, simply knowing that Christ loves you. When you live that way, so often you're respected. So often your truth becomes your truth and people leave you alone. And you can have that joy, growing joy, and the power of how much God loves you. When you're a Christian and you live not with this world or of this world, but when you live for God, when you value what God values, you, you absolutely are going to stick out. People are going to notice. Sometimes what they notice is rather negative about you. And so how do you live that faith in a, in a bold way? You're going to stick out when you do not join in with the office gossip about Jessica and the dumb thing that she did again. You're going to stick out when you don't join in with mocking Randy for the train wreck of an outfit that he wore to school again. You're going to stick out when you do not join the guys at the gentleman's club because that's not where true gentlemen go. You're going to stick out. And a lot of times it's going to be this, the negative aspect of them looking at you. So how do you live that faith, your bold faith, in this world that's against us as Christians? who value what God values. All right, there's a phrase I want to teach you. And this phrase is going to be really helpful in living intentionally your faith. When someone wants you to participate in something you don't want to do because you know that it doesn't honor God, say this, hey, I'm, I'm just not comfortable with that. That's all I got to say. I, I'm not comfortable with that. And when you say that in a non-confrontational way, you're saying what you're doing is wrong. I don't want to do it. But you're not being aggressive, but yet you're still being intentional and standing on the truth of God's word. And so you say, hey, I'm just not comfortable with that. Now, people are going to notice and more than likely they're going to ask you why. Now, when they ask why, there could be a couple different ways. It could be an aggressive why, like why? What's, what's wrong with you that you wouldn't do this? They might ask you why and say in a kind of a confused way, like why? I, I'm shocked that you wouldn't want to be part of this. It doesn't matter why they say their why. It doesn't matter how they say their why. You actually kind of want them to say why. Because now you've started a dialogue, a discussion. Because if you just attack them right away and say what you're doing is wrong, they're not going to listen. A fight's going to happen. God wants us to engage in communication with others to tell them about Christ and to be intentional with that. Peter talked about that. Peter, who was a disciple, a disciple who lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus almost every day for about three years. And he gives us this encouragement on how to live that faith life and how to have an answer when someone asks you, well, why? He said this in 1 Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
did you notice Peter doesn't say here, be ready to pick a fight? Although there's times that we have to do that. I mean, Jesus did that at times. Remember, he overturns the table changers of the, for the money in the temple. Uh, Jesus would go after the Pharisees, but that's when they were really unrepentant. Jesus often tried to work a conversation, a dialogue. And so Peter wants the same for us, to pre be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. And what is that hope? And that hope is Christ. Because Jesus, Jesus changes everything and gives you hope. His death on the cross for your forgiveness changes absolutely everything. Christ's destroying grave and its grip on your soul, it changes everything. Jesus preparing a place for you in heaven so that he will come back to take you to be with him in glory, that changes absolutely everything. And that gives you boldness to live in this life and say, I'm just, I'm not comfortable with that. Hoping they say why. So that you could tell them more. You could tell them about the reason that you hope that you have. You could tell them with gentleness and respect. So be ready. Be ready for people to ask you why. And to be ready to give them Jesus. So I don't mean to brag, but I was once called the ambassador to New Ulm, Minnesota. I know that's kind of crazy sounding, so let me explain to you how this actually happened. I was a teenager, I was working at a fast food restaurant. This guy comes through the drive-thru and he had a couple hours to kill before a meeting. So he asked me, hey, what should I see? What should I do inside this city? So I got excited. I told him about a number of things he could see, how to find them. I even drew him out a little map and gave it to him. And I was pretty pumped about him exploring the city. Before he drove off, he called over my manager to compliment me in front of my manager. And just before he drove off, he goes, that guy, that guy's like the ambassador of New Ulm. And he laughed and he drove off. And my manager laughed and made fun of me. He called me the Mr. Ambassador uh, for the next several months. Why did I get called the ambassador to New Ulm? Well, I was excited about something and that my excitement gave him excitement. I mean, that's what an ambassador does. An ambassador promotes its, their city or their country so other people want to experience it. An ambassador doesn't uh, promote the bad stuff. An ambassador doesn't talk about the stuff they would have concern about. An ambassador talks about all the joy and all the goodness. God calls you to be an ambassador in this world that we live in. And again, this week we're talking about how you can live your faith life in a bold way. And one of the ways you can do that is to live like an ambassador. Way too often we as Christians are known for what we're against. We're, we're anti this and we're against that. And that's true. I mean, when we value what God values, this world doesn't value what God values. But how powerful, how positive for us to intentionally live our lives in a way that celebrates all the goodness and all the grace that God gives to us. How amazing for us to be for the gospel and have people to know that about us. We get that encouragement here in 2 Corinthians. Paul was talking to these newer Christians in the city of Corinth and he gave them this encouragement. He said, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be that ambassador. 
be for all the things that God is for and celebrate all the things that God is for. And Paul kind of focuses us in on how to do that, to be reconciled to God. The word reconcile is an interesting one. It's not one we use that often. The word reconcile means to restore a once broken relationship. Man, if you and I as Christians can just constantly go around and celebrate to others, celebrate before others, how our lives were broken and how they were hurt and how they were a mess and how now we have peace, how now we have confidence and how we live differently because of Christ. And that, my friends, that is the reason why we live with joy in the world around us. Man, what a difference that would be. If we as Christians are known for the gospel, to live that way, people will notice. And so, God encourages you to be an ambassador. Not that we're going to ignore the stuff, the law that people have to hear, but the law doesn't change hearts. The gospel does. Be known. Be an ambassador. Be known for what God loves. God loves to show grace. God loves to connect other people to be with him in heaven. Live that joy. Live that truth. And just watch. Just watch what the Holy Spirit does. One of the last things that Jesus spoke to his disciples was a warning and a promise. Jesus is just hours away from going to the cross and he knows this is the last classroom experience, so to speak, with his 12 disciples. And he knows exactly what's ahead for each and every one of them. He knows that one of his disciples is going to fall into unbelief and even end his own life. He knows another disciple is going to be exiled on a remote island and just left for dead. He knows the other ten are going to be tortured and die in excruciatingly painful ways. And so he knows this is his last time, last chance to, to really speak into them and to fuel them for what's ahead. And so Jesus speaks a promise, but before that, a big warning because he knows what's coming. And he says this, Jesus said to those disciples something that echoed through their hearts into ours right now. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. These words have encouraged millions of Christians in their last moments before they died. Dying for their faith. Being intentionally killed because simply they love who you love. They value what you value. They were killed simply because they love Christ. And you might think, well, that, that was back then. You know, that was, that's in church history. That's in the history of the world. You know, Nero and Diocletian and these different people that killed mass amounts of Christians. That was, that was back then. Well, it's today. It's today. You know what's happening to your brothers and sisters in the faith? Do you know that in 2016, about every six minutes, a Christian was murdered for loving Jesus. It's about 90,000 Christians who were taken from this planet in death simply because they value what you value. They love who you love. And those words, that warning with a promise, is what they needed to hold on to, to give them encouragement. It's coming. It's already here. In the world that we live in, you can do all these different things, have conviction in how you live your faith, to say to others, well, I'm just not comfortable with that. All these things we talked about this week, you can do all those steps and still there are going to be times when you just get attacked. 
and you get persecuted. Remember these words. And remember this truth. That Jesus gave that warning. In this world, you will have trouble. This world is broken and sin reigns and rules here. And so sometimes you're going to be that collateral damage of just sin being in this world. And it's not that God has forgotten you. God is going to get you through it. And so he gives you a promise. A promise that you and I so desperately need. When Jesus looks into your soul and looks into your heart and says, take heart. Have courage no matter what you're facing. Have courage for I have overcome the world. Jesus is your shield. He is your very great reward no matter what you are facing. Jesus is that good shepherd who knows knows your voice and listens to your voice. The good shepherd who has pushed away and kept away that prowling lion looking to devour your flesh for an eternity. And Jesus will not stop. He's never stopped. He's always loved you. And through that love, through that grace, it's going to take you to be with him in heaven. So no matter what you face, no matter what is in front of you, know that God has never left you. Know that God dearly, passionately loves you. And take heart. For God has overtaken the world, which means he'll take you from this world to be with him in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for that strength. Bring it on, devil. We got Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, everyone. Pastor Mike here with Time of Grace. Did you know that our ministry is 100% donor-funded? That's a fancy way of saying that we don't receive buckets and buckets of money from the government or from any church or denomination. Instead, our ministry is completely fueled by people just like you. People who listen and watch our videos, people who give generously, and people who allow this message to spread to more and more souls whose lives are then changed. So for all of you who give, thank you so much. And for all of you who haven't given yet, we would love for you to do so. We really need your support. We want to reach people now with the good news of Jesus, which is why we need your help. Thanks for praying about that. Thanks for considering it. And thanks in advance for your support. God bless.